People of God in Christ, I propose that starting this morning and uh, going forward for as many weeks as it takes, uh, maybe the balance of the summer, uh, that we uh, pause in our series uh, in the gospel or in the uh, book of Genesis and that we take up uh, the study and proclamation of God's word from Psalm 18. This has been our uh, practice in the past uh, to forge ahead in our Genesis series, but to uh, take the occasional break and to see uh, what the Holy Spirit uh, would say to us from other passages of God's Word. In this case, it's Psalm 18. Uh, Psalm 18 is a unique psalm uh, in that it is uh, one of only a few that, uh, that specifically mention the love of God's people for God. Uh, Psalm, one, Psalm 18, verse 1 says, I love you, O Lord, my strength. And that in itself is uh, worth a, a month of Sundays, as they say. Uh, I love you, O Lord. How important it is that uh, we learn to say these words. Uh, even within our horizontal relationships, some of you do this already. You say to your wife, you say to your husband on some regular basis, I love you. Uh, you say to your children as you're putting them to bed, I love you. Such powerful words, really. They are words that uh, accentuate, do they not? The power of the tongue. Uh, the Apostle James uh, teaches the the power of the tongue uh, um, in the negative, we might say. The, uh, he teaches that the tongue can destroy, the tongue can do great harm, so that the tongue can condemn the owner of the tongue, the, the user of that speech. Sin lies, of course, in the heart, but before it reaches the arms and the feet, sin most often comes to the tongue, so that we sin so easily, so quickly, by what we say. But the same is true in the positive regarding the tongue. The tongue can, can do great evil, it can also bring great blessing. And, and what a blessing it is when we say three simple words, I love you. Flowers are great. And I'm sure your um, local florist appreciates your business. Uh, greeting cards have their place. I'm not arguing against them. Uh, good deeds of love are even better than flowers or greeting cards because they go beyond simple words. But simple words are important. It starts with the tongue. It begins with what we say. And the psalmist says this, and, and he prompts us, uh, by the Holy Spirit to say the same, I love you, O Lord, my strength. Are these your words to God? Do you love the Lord and do you tell him so? Tell your husband, tell your wife, uh, tell your children each day of your short life, I love you. But brothers and sisters, let us not neglect to say each time we pray that we love the Lord our God, who indeed is our strength and our salvation 
through Jesus Christ. The Lord willing, we're going to make our way through Psalm 18 over the next several weeks, but this morning, looking at the introduction to Psalm 18, just verses 1 through 3, let this be uh, a first point, declaring love for God. Verse 1 says again, I love you, O Lord, my strength. It's a, it's a declaration. Uh, that's what the words I love you always are, a declaration. When you say I love you to someone, you're, you're declaring what you, what you feel, what is in your heart. Granted, sometimes uh, you say it because you know you should. Uh, maybe you don't feel it as an emotion so much as you know it as your obligation, even what, you're, what you've promised to do. But if, if you don't feel it as an emotion, only knowing it as your duty, then maybe the problem lies with you. And that's especially the case when it comes to our love for God. If we don't feel love for God... It's not that God has somehow become less worthy of our love. It's not that God has failed to stir up our love for him. It's that we have lost track of the loveliness of God. And that's why the psalmist says, why why he writes and declares, I love you, O Lord, O Yahweh, O God of covenant faithfulness. In other words, by using the covenant name of God, the psalmist is saying, I love you, O God, for you are my creator. I love you, O God, for you have given me life and have sustained my life to this point in my life. I love you, O God, for your promise of salvation. I love you, O God, for you are the God who forgives my sin. You are the God who credits me with righteousness. I love you, O God, for you are the God who loves his people. And my love for you is but my meager answer to your great love for me in Jesus Christ. Someone might say, uh, wait, what? Uh, How can you you introduce the name of Christ into this passage? But Christ is the message of God's word from beginning to end. Uh, The name Christ is is just the English version of of the Greek name Christos, which is the Greek version of the Hebrew word Messiah, which is the name used for the Savior that God had promised even upon the fall of man into sin. In the day that our first parents listened to the devil and and fell to sin and came under his rule and jurisdiction. From that day onward, a promise from God was in force. A Savior was coming. And so the covenant name of God, Yahweh, rendered in our English Bibles as Lord in all capital letters, is the, is the promissory name of God. To call God Yahweh is to confess faith in his promise of a savior. And the equivalent for us is to call God our Lord. 
with the understanding that a Lord is one who provides, the God who provides light in the darkness of sin, the God who promises life in the midst of death, the God who saves, and the God who saves because he is a God of love. It's interesting that in Scripture, the only attribute of God that is proclaimed to us in uh, tridental form is the holiness of God. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God of hosts, declares the angels in the prophet's vision in Isaiah 6. But, but guess what the name of God used here is? It's the Lord. It's Yahweh, the, the covenant name of God. It's, it's the name that, that means God is aware and, and, and he's attentive to the plight of his people. It's the name that means God is love. And so we really should hear it like this. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord who loves his people. The God who has made covenant promises to save his people and the God who has all power to do for his people what he has promised to do. And that's why the psalmist does not just say, I love you, God. Instead, he says, I love you, O Lord, my strength. This is not a sermon to call us into some nice, sweet relationship with God that that fits neatly into our own understanding and definition of who and, and what God is, or at least what we think he should be. The point is not just to adopt the, the words, I love you, God, for the sake of some spirituality of our own imagination. I did a, I did a, a wedding once, uh, officiating the, the ceremony, and then made the mistake of uh, going to the reception afterward. Uh, let me give you a tip. If you get invited to a wedding, consider going to the ceremony, but skipping the reception um, some people do the opposite. They skip the ceremony and, and just show up for the reception. Well, I went to both, and uh, the person who was asked uh, by the couple, I assume, to pray at the beginning of the reception uh, had no idea who he was praying to. Um, so he prayed, God, we just want to love you up. And I don't even know what that means. I, I might have just gone home at that high point because things didn't get any better after that. The point is that we must love God even as we stand, as we stand in covenant relationship to him. Fearing him, yes, loving him, but loving him according to his plan after his purposes and by way of his promises to us in Jesus Christ. I love you, O Lord, must be our declaration of love for the one true God, and it must be spoken, whether out loud or within our hearts, it must be spoken whenever we approach God in prayer or in worship. 
Can, can we fear God and love him at the same time? Yeah, yes. That's what faith is. And, and if that doesn't make sense to us, how we can fear God and, and love him at the same time, even telling him that we love him, then we've got a ways to go towards having a mature faith. So let's go then to the second verse. And the second point to the God who is worthy of our love. And we have already started this point because verse 1 says again, I love you, O Lord, my strength. So, so beyond just saying, I love you, God, the psalmist says, I love you, O Lord, my strength. But even more, the psalmist declares this in praise of the God he loves. The Lord is my rock and my fortress and my deliverer. My God, my rock in whom I take refuge, my shield and the horn of my salvation, my stronghold. So the point is made clear. If not, let it be made clear that the psalmist loves God, not for the sake of loving him up, whatever that means. But the psalmist loves God because God has shown his love for the psalmist. So here's the point where we need to jump or to move, to apply and understand the text to our love for Christ himself. And again, someone might say, wait, what? Um, But the sooner we understand this, the better. And the sooner we understand this, the better we will understand how it is that uh, we sing the Psalms of Scripture and yet we sing to Christ himself. We've already made the point that, uh, that uh, we are not just called to love God, whatever we think that means, whatever warmth of heart we can stir up toward something or someone that we would call God. We're called to love the Lord, to love the covenant God of Scripture. But, but how do we know him? And how do we know that he is worthy of our love? If you, if you just decide to love God, that's really just about you and how spiritual maybe you can be to love God and maybe even to tell other people, oh, I love God. Do you love God? I love God. Let's all love God. Who is the God who is worthy of our love? He is our rock. He is our fortress. He is our deliverer. He is our God, our rock in whom we take refuge. He is our shield and the horn of our salvation, our stronghold. And all of this testimony from the psalmist points us to Christ. Is not Christ our rock? The Apostle Paul says of the rock that provided water for Israel as they As they traveled through the wilderness, he said, that rock was Christ. Is not Christ our fortress? Jesus himself said, I will be with you always to the end of the age. Is not Christ our deliverer? 1 Thessalonians 1 verse 10 says that Jesus delivers us from the wrath to come. And so is not Christ our refuge? As he says to us, come to me. 
Come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Perhaps the most difficult reference uh, here to Christ is that he is the horn of our salvation. What does that mean? It's it's probably the metaphor that is uh, uh, most lost on us, that he is the horn of our salvation. For city folks like us, when we hear the word horn, we think maybe of the horn on our car that we honk when somebody's uh, looking at their phone and doesn't see that the light is green. Uh, I'm not sure where that use of the word horn came from. It's, it's obviously, I think, a musical reference. But, but how then should we understand that God is the horn of our salvation, even more that Christ is my horn? doesn't seem all that intuitive to us, but the horn of my salvation is really a return. It's the final bookend because it's a return to the psalmist reference to God as his strength. I love you, O Lord, my strength. The psalmist begins, and he comes back to the strength of God, and he he finishes by calling God the horn of my salvation, my stronghold. The horns of a bull, for example, are its strength. A bull can kick and it can trample under its hooves, but its horns are its greatest threat against those who would come against it. And this is who Christ is to us. This is why we should love him and declare our love for him, because he is our rock, he is our fortress, he is our deliverer, and he is the horn that strikes our enemies in order to protect us from their threats. And so it's a reference even to the cross because Colossians 2.15 says that God through Christ and by his cross has disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in him, that is, in Christ. The Apostle Paul teaches us to read the Psalms in light of Christ. He is, God is, the horn of our salvation because the Messiah, the Christ that he has promised, has now come and he has triumphed. The word triumph has uh, has been reduced for us, perhaps, to sporting events, people playing games among themselves and triumphing. But as we have been reminded more lately, with the war in Ukraine, we live in a world of warfare. And even beyond the warfare of one nation against another, we see, uh, we must see the, the spiritual warfare being waged in this world. But even more, we must see that the, the battle belongs to the Lord, that Christ has triumphed through the cross, and that if we trust in him, if we take his side over against the side of the evil one, then we too have triumphed, as Christ himself is the horn of my salvation, and now my stronghold 
by my faith in him. Which brings us to verse 3, and the final point, our, our loving worship of God. Here's another clarification of what it means to love the Lord. Uh, think about how love gets reduced to a feeling in the heart, a feeling that comes and goes and perhaps even dies out altogether. Uh, you make my heart go pitter-patter until the pitter-patter of little feet bring less time and attention to the relationship. You see how it works. But the psalmist moves from love, even a, a declaration of love for the Lord, he moves then to his worship of the Lord. He writes in verse 3, I call upon the Lord who is worthy to be praised, and I am saved from my enemies. An important connection is made here that, uh, that to call upon God is really what it means to praise the Lord. I call upon the Lord who is worthy to be praised. There's, there's kind of an equal sign in this statement that we need to understand. To call upon the Lord equals praising the Lord. Psalm 50 helps us here when it says, call upon me, call upon me in the day of trouble. I will deliver you and you shall glorify me. How do we glorify God? By, by saying we glorify you. How do we praise God? By saying we praise you, O God. In other words, how should we worship God? What worship does God himself desire from us? In Psalm 50, God says, stop projecting your ideas about love onto me. Don't think that I am like you, especially not like you in your fallen state of sin. In order to glorify and praise, honor and worship the one true God, we must call upon him. The thing that glorifies God is when his people call upon him, which is to say, when his people seek from him that which they need, which is everything. And so it is that Psalm 18 says, I call upon the Lord who is worthy to be praised, and I am saved from my enemies. And this is really to say, I call upon the Lord who is worthy to be called upon. So that to worship God is to, is to trust in him, to, to enjoy his promises, to, to take comfort in who and what he is toward his people. The point of Christian worship is, is not just to say, praise the Lord or we glorify you. The way to worship and honor the Lord is to call upon him, even as we know what he has done for us in Christ so that we seek from him what he has promised to give and provide. Notice the present tense of the, of the psalmist's words in verse 3. I call upon the Lord who is worthy to be praised, who is worthy to be called upon, and I am saved from my enemies. The thing to see is that we, we can really have no doubt that God will give what we ask of him when we ask of him according to who he is.
We can be sure that he will give what what we ask of him when we seek from him what he has promised to give. He may or may not give us the new job that we seek, the greater income that we really wish we had. He may or may not give us uh, some change that we that we seek in our life, and and that's always hard. And you know it's hard. We we call it hard providences when God says no. But the Apostle Paul says of Christ that he is God's yes to us. In Christ, it is always yes, he writes, for all the promises of God find their yes in him. That is why it is through him that we utter our amen to God for his glory. And yet it honors God when we call upon him. We, we offer our best worship of God when we seek his blessings. We praise God to the fullness of, of what we can when we acknowledge that he is God. He is our creator and provider. And we are his people who exist and live by his blessings. Compare it, if you will, to other relationships that we have. Uh, a child is hungry, but instead of going to his mother, uh, he goes and asks the neighbor for food. Or worse yet, he steals it from the neighbor. Either way, does, does that child honor his mother or his father? Wouldn't his parents say, son, what, what are you doing? Don't you trust us? Don't you understand that we have what you need? Or an employee is in need. He has a wife and three children now, so he he goes out looking for a job that pays more. But couldn't his couldn't his current employee or employer say, "What are you doing? You've been with me so long. Why wouldn't you come to me for what you need rather than looking for another job?" Can we not see that that to call upon God is to worship him? To seek from him what we need is our declaration that we believe in him, that we know he has what we need, and that he can and will provide for us. If we think about it this way, it it reveals how our worship of God is so often the result of our pride rather than our submission and, and humility before God. Submission, humility, these are, these are hard words for us. They grate against our pride. And so we approach God in prayer and we go through the motions when what we really should do is to first say, I love you, O Lord. For I have no strength except that you be my strength. We think to worship God, but we end up dishonoring him rather than truly worshiping him because we try to, we try to meet him on some equal plane rather than falling before him and, and confessing that he is our rock, he is our fortress, he is the one who delivers us from his enemy and ours the devil. He is the horn of our salvation through his own work for us in Jesus Christ. So if we would approach God to worship him 
in this reality, what can we really offer him except our dependence upon him? What words can we really utter before him except to call upon the Lord who is worthy to be praised? Let's continue with Psalm 18, the Lord willing, over the next several weeks. Let's, uh, let's learn more of what it really means to love the Lord. Uh, the husband who says, I love you, to his wife and, and yet beats her, he is a liar. Uh, the wife who says, I love you, to her husband, yet entertains other men, is an adulteress. The father who claims to love his children but doesn't provide for them doesn't really love his children. What is love? And what does it mean to love the Lord? We need to know these things. And Psalm 18 will teach them to us. May the Lord instruct us in his ways and in his truth. Amen. Let's pray together. We do love you, O Lord. You are our God. We are your people. You have loved us. You have saved us. You are faithful and true to us. How can we not love you? Teach us to say I love you certainly to each other, but all the more to you. And help us to know what it is to love you. And we do call upon you, O God, that you would be gracious and merciful to provide for us in all that we need, to bless us richly and abundantly for the sake of Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray. Amen.